there was a um, little boy who invited his friend uh, to church. Never been to church before because he knew the African man was going to be there. So uh, his friend had come to church, and first time he'd been to church. And he came around and he looked around. And uh, he asked, well, what are those things? And I said, oh, that, that's the organ, but it doesn't work. But it's there, it's the organ. And uh, he said, what is that thing the guy stands behind? He said, oh, that's the pulpit. You know, that stops you from seeing his knees shake. And uh, they asked, well, what's that thing over there? Oh, that's where we baptize and dip babies in. It's a very odd thing. And then he saw a very strange thing, right? He saw the, the guy speaking, the African man, take off his watch and put it on the lectern. And he said, what, what does that mean? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> so in Africa, we have services for three hours. So here we go. Uh, let's pray. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to the part of the service where you want to hear your word. Hear what you have to say to us. Again, the, work's been, the, the week has been busy. And we have this moment in time where we can just focus and concentrate on you. What do you have to say to us? Let that question be on our hearts. So we ask that you may come be with us. May your Holy Spirit be with us. Open our hearts and our minds to the things that you want us to hear. We ask this in your name. Amen. The Olympics is everywhere. And I have to say that I've really enjoyed uh, watching the dramas unfold. Yesterday was a great day, uh, if you follow uh, the, the Great Britain team. But I can't help thinking that uh, there's a little bit of distraction um, with the Olympics. That the world is still happening in and around us. If you look a bit closely, you notice that they're still fighting in Syria. There's still people being killed because of their faith and what they believe. As was in the news this week about Nigeria, I'm told that there are 33 conflicts being fought in the world right now. Um, apparently those are official conflicts, but I'm sure there's a lot more than that. The world's economic system is crumbling because we spend more than we earn. Right now in Northern Ireland, there's 64,000 people who don't have a job. We spent 2,464 million pounds since the Good Friday Agreement on peace. But yet, we still have division. People are still being hurt and killed and beaten because they're, they're wearing a Celtic or Rangers top. Peace walls are still going up. We still have strong division. And sometimes, it's easy for people to ask the question, what can we do? What's the point? Can we as Christians make a difference in this world that we live in? The answer to that question, I believe, is in the passage where Paul stands beside us in the 21st century, in the passage we read in Corinthians. Where despite all the difficulties here and in Northern Ireland, he says the answer to the question is love. Love your fellow human beings, love those around you that may not be necessarily lovable, and there will be hope. Now, when we think of loving the unlovable and loving those we find hard, 
I don't think Paul is talking about those hippie, sandal-wearing, tree-hugging type of love. He's talking about something more concrete than that. Most of us know that we are called to live a life of love. But we are equally aware that for some of us, this doesn't come easy or naturally. Especially in the world that we mix, in the world that we meet outside this church. So how do we go and discover and use this love that Paul is talking about? To discover that, we're going to look at Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Written so long ago, but yet it has so much to say to us today. So in the next short while together, we're going to explore Paul's letter by asking a few questions. Why did Paul add this letter or this section of love in this letter? And what does it matter to us in 2012? What is that extra special love of Christ that Paul is talking about or look like? What does that look like? Can we really love the way Paul is asking us and telling us that we should? So let's dive into it. Let's go look at why did Paul add this section on love? And what does it matter to us in 2012? Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians who lived in Corinth. Now, Corinth was a small town that suddenly came into loads of money through industry because it was in a shipping route. It was a busy, wealthy place awash with economic activity, very similar to the way Belfast was during the heyday of shipbuilding. I mean, it was the best producers of linen in the world. Let me take you back a few years. Remember those dockyards and, and East Belfast um, and those men walking through the gates, filling the, filling the gates of Holland and Wolf early in the morning? Can you picture them going to work all filing through in their suits? Uh, some of you may have heard some of the stories of grandparents or parents may have told about that time, of the huge pride people must have felt of building those huge ships and producing the best linen in the world. Well, Corinth wasn't far off this. It was growing in stature. People beca- people, Corinth became a very important town. People started to amass this wealth. And one of the things that Paul was very concerned about was, were these people putting their hope and their pride and their faith in the things that they were crying? They were posturing around with the things they had. They developed education and were able to speak well and use words. They felt strong and confident in the things that they were acquiring. The jobs they had, the security they got from that, and the safety they got from that. The city was growing. It's not far off some of the cities that we would have seen growing up because of the, the, the economic boom a few years ago. Some of you may have similar stories of watching wealth and education and confidence rise in cities because of, of wealth. But these effects of self-reliance, position, and wealth had seeped into the way the church in Corinth had started to behave. They started to fight with one another. They started to ask whose ministry was the best. Was it Paul's or was it someone else's? Divisions started to appear. They had lawsuits against their brothers. They started fighting about who was clean and who was unclean. What was the correct way to worship Christ? They're fighting, they were fighting so much that they started to pull the church apart. In some ways, the picture back then looks very similar to the picture today. People putting their faith in fads and, and putting their faith in getting rich, putting their faith in the quick fixes of life, the faster the better. Let's not worry too much about relationships. Let's only have relationships with those people we get along with. Now, Paul had lived in Corinth for three years. He had been their friend, their pastor, their teacher, their mentor. 
He was someone they loved, someone they loved because he showed them the way. Now just for a moment, imagine we as a church received that letter from Paul. Remember, he's writing this letter to the church, the Christians, the people who followed Christ. So imagine the messenger comes and we meet here and the letter, start, the letter arrives and the letter starts off with, Dear Church of Fitzroy, I've heard some interesting things about you. Now I don't know about you, but when the letter starts like that, I start to feel a knot in my stomach. Because it's something that, it's not, it's something that you know you did, but not quite sure what, and this person you love and respect is going to tell you something. And it sounds like it's going to tell you something awful. But as you read the letter, Paul's reminding us of what it means to be a follower of Christ. He reminds us to respect our marriages, to respect our spouse, and to respect the act of sex. He reminds us not to follow false gods, and ceremonial foods is not, is not what it's about. In the letter, he talks about communion and the joy of communion and eating there and its relevance. He reminds us that communion is there to celebrate the unity of Christ. And the letter is there to remind us about the joy and love of Christ. In the letter, he reminds us that we are all different with different gifts and abilities and talents. And because of this, no one is more important than the other. As we read the letter, we think, great. What a great letter to receive. We needed some encouragement at this time. But the letter doesn't end there. Because Paul hits us with the most important and the most challenging bit of the letter. He says, love. If you do not have love, you cannot call yourselves followers of Christ. Now, I, don't know, I don't really know where you are when it comes to loving everyone. But it's hard to think of people that, and it's easy to think of people that rather not love. And yet Paul rips away and pulls away at all things that makes me feel comfortable, all things that makes us feel safe, all the things people see and praise you for, all the, people, all the things we do in the community. And he says, if you, do, if you don't have love, if you, if you do all these things but don't have love, you are nothing. In the letter he says, if you speak well and good and say nice words and people hear you say these good things and they say you are good, and they say you're good but you don't have love, you're really a windbag full of hot air. He says, if you know the word of, word of God and able to express it, come to church on a Sunday, dazzle people with your knowledge and dazzle people with your prayers, you're doing it all for nothing. He says, if you give to the poor, help the poor, help the marginalized, but do not have love, you are doing it all for nothing. I'm sure that the Corinthians, just like us, thought these words were hard. But that is the thing about God's word. It hits at our hearts. I can think of loads of people who are close to me that I don't have a good relationship with. People that I need to go to to say sorry to, even though that it wasn't my fault that we separated. Paul is saying, if I do not show them love, but do all the good things in the community and for the church, I'm doing it all for nothing. So what does this extra special love look like? When we go on to read the letter, remember this letter is a letter from Paul to the church addressed to us. 
Now Paul gets to the part where he reminds us about what love is. He tells us what the love of Christ is. He writes, love never gives up. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle. Doesn't keep score of sins of others. Doesn't revel when others grovel. Takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Puts up with anything. Trusts God always. Always looks for the best. Never looks back, but keeps going to the end. When Paul is talking to us, he's talking talking to us full of emotion and thought. And he knew the nature of people that we get annoyed, that we get cross, we get busy, we get angry, put our energy into wrong things, we, we get too secure. And we forget exactly what this love is talking about. So he summarizes for us the main ingredients of love. He says it's patience, kindness, generosity, humility, courtesy, good temper, sincerity. If we do not show people and the people around us and in this building and outside this building love, we're doing it all for nothing. It reminds me of the story of Zacchaeus, one of my favorite stories. Um, I probably tell the story loads and loads of times because it's one of those stories that really touches um, this topic. Because Zacchaeus was a man that people didn't like. He was a tax collector. He took money from people more than he needed to and he gave it to, to, to the governors, the Roman governors. And he took some money for himself. And he heard Jesus was coming close by so he gets up into a tree because he wants to see Jesus. And as Jesus walks by, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I am coming to your house. Can you imagine what the people around him must have said? Why are you going to his house? What are you going to do with him? He steals our money and builds his own empire. I would have loved to be in that conversation, to hear what people have said. But more so I would have loved to be in the house when Jesus met Zacchaeus together. The story goes on to say, because of that meeting, Zacchaeus changes his whole life, his whole being. Because he's meeting with Jesus, he decides to give money back to the poor more than he took away. Because Jesus sees his heart. Jesus showed him love. Jesus showed him all those things of patience, kindness, generosity, humility, courtesy, sincerity. As we read and reflect on what Paul is really asking us to do, we have to ask, is, this love, is it possible to love this way? There are loads of people in our lives we can think of right now that go, yep, there are loads, they can love that way. One of the people that, that I come across that loves this way is uh, Nelson Mandela. I love a story about a meeting that he had with uh, a top executive, a BP executive. And um, let, me, let me read you the story. Uh, the BP executive was a guy named Peter. He was head of uh, BP's social corporate responsibility department. And one day Mandela had asked him to build a school in a high density area where, there, where there's lots of poverty. 
um, and people, lots of people that knew work. So Mandela invited Peter to come tell him about the progress of what was happening within, within, that, uh, within that time within the Eastern Cape. Peter was very nervous, and as the day got closer, um, and he talks about his anxiety and the prospect of meeting Nelson Mandela. So the day arrives, and Peter dressed in his best, and he got one of the company drivers called Dumi to take him to Mr. Mandela's house. To Peter's amazement, his host was waiting for him in the car park. He described how he felt extremely late and humbled that Mr. Mandela was waiting for him. Mr. Mandela warmly greeted him and the driver, then gestured for both of them to enter the house. However, in the traditional corporate behavior and protocol, the driver retreated quietly and remained in the car. Mr. Mandela invited Peter um, into the, uh, to the breakfast table, but just before they started eating, Mandela started to fussle around and look very uncomfortable. And uh, he said to Peter, wasn't there, wasn't there two of you? He asked Peter, and Peter said, um, no, sir, there was just, uh, just me, uh, and, and there was just the driver, and he will remain in the car. At that point, Mandela got up, and he went to the driver, introduced himself to the driver, and asked him to join them for breakfast. And then, uh, as he walked into the kitchen, he said to, to the lady cooking the breakfast, Dumi will be joining us for breakfast. Can we have another plate, please? Peter says there was a long pause. And then he realized the mistake he had made. He could not look Mr. Mandela in the face. After they had finished the breakfast and he briefed Mr. Mandela on the progress of the school, Dumi and Peter bid him farewell. Dumi started the engine and they, they left the grounds. And just as they got around the corner, Dumi stopped the car and he got out and he went around to Peter, opened Peter's door, went on one knee and he says, Peter, thank you so much for asking Mr. Mandela to come and invite me for breakfast. This is the one thing that I never expected could happen in my life. I simply do not know how to thank you enough for what you have done. And I am sure, and Peter stops him with a wave of his hand. And he says, and Peter says, I'm glad you enjoyed the occasion. It's the least I could do. <laughs> Even as Peter said these words, he felt really stupid for lying and taking the credit for something he didn't deserve. With a sense of deep shame, a few days later, Peter called Dumi and, and told him the true story and offered his apology. Here's a man who spent 27 years in prison, apart from his family and his community. In coming out of prison, he was heralded a world icon. Yet he shows love, kindness, generosity, sincerity to his fellow man, his fellow South African, someone who everyone else thought was just a driver. So now that I know what love is, why is it important? Why did Paul make such a big deal about it? I believe the answer to that question is because love lasts. Especially in the world we live in, where we throw away things. We don't give things a second look. We throw, throw away things very easily, where the world doesn't appreciate things. 
Love is important as well because it's the way we are built. It's the way that God made us. We need it. We respond to it. We want to be where it's at. We can all recount times when we received gifts from someone that we loved and respected. Those unexpected gifts. An unexpected gift from someone we loved and respected. How that made us feel. We all remember those times when people showed us love and kindness and respect when we didn't deserve it. It wasn't about what they said, it wasn't about what we said or what we did, but the love just came our way. I have this friend called Rob, and he's now in his 60s, and uh, he's a barrister, and he runs a very successful um, family organization, and he loves telling the story about when he was in school. And in school back in those days, the teacher used to ask to, the children to help uh, cut the paper with the guillotine. Probably wouldn't happen today. And, um, and every day a different child got the opportunity to cut the paper with the guillotine. Now Rob would say that he wasn't very good at school, he wasn't very bright, he wasn't the sharpest uh, tool in the shed, and at school he became known for this. And this day it was his turn to cut the paper. So Mr. Brown asked him, Rob, can you come to the front and can you cut the paper? And after he cut the paper, Mr. Brown stopped the class and whatever they're doing, whatever they were doing, and he said, Class, I want to tell you that Rob is the best cutter of paper with a guillotine that I've ever had in my whole entire life. Rob loves telling that story because more than 50 years ago, 50 years on, he remembers how he felt being the best user of the guillotine that Mr. Brown had ever seen in his whole life. He remembers how it made him feel. There was love Kindness, patience, sincerity, and generosity. In this passage, Paul is asking us as a church, do we have this? Do we as a community show people around us what the love of Christ is through our relationships with one another? We can have all the words, the comfort, the security, but if we do not have love, we are lost. So as we wrap up Paul's thoughts on love and how we should love, I think Paul is clearly saying love is not about us but our fellow human beings. And that message is as important today as it is in Corinth those years ago. Here in Fitzroy, one of the things we do is we try and strive for that. There are many stories that we have of people showing, showing love within this church. And this church has been amazing in growing people's faith. The pastoral care for older people is amazing. The youth work that happens and the sacrifices the youth workers have to, to show the love of Christ to, to young people is something that you, you really find. The work in the reconciliation has shown others on how to live. The mothers and toddlers group that runs during the term is something uh, that's brilliant in bringing people together and showing love. Giving to, giving to the needy, as we heard in the announcements earlier, is nothing that we do. We need to continue this and not stop there. To know that we as Christians, we have so much to give this world and this community. My prayer and, and your prayer should be not to hide this under a bush but keep, and not keep it confined to ourselves. Let's go out there and show it what it means to love the unlovable, really passionately and enthusiastically.
Let us pray. Father God, you've given us lots of gifts that we should be really grateful for. We mentioned some of those in our prayers and we've sung about some of, the, some of those gifts early on. One of the greatest gifts you've given us is to love. And our prayer is that you may help us reflect on what that love looks like within our own community and with the people we come across and the people we meet. And what this love means within the community that we have right here in Fitzroy. Help us to be brave to show that love. Help us not to wipe it aside. Help us to rely on you for our love and our security and our hope. Again, Father, we need you and we want you part of our lives. We want to change this community and the people around us by showing them the love that you showed us. We ask this in your name. Amen.